sounds like there's no reason a flame would be there. And some some comments on Twitter, there's some speculation that it's actually a flap, that it's not actually a flame. Uh, it looks like a flame to me. I guess I can't rule anything out. But yeah, yeah, I've seen fire enough to know that's a that's a flame. <laughs> but obviously, you know, there can't be sensors for every single possible outcome, right? There's not going to be like a sensor that there's a a lizard on the on some on the fairing, like you know, lizard lizard lights on. Let's go go. Someone get a broom, right? You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. On today's show, we're going to chat through the latest uh, airline crash. It was a Chinese Boeing 737. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We don't know a whole lot yet. We'll discuss Airbus's plans for hydrogen-powered airlines and this interesting new acquisition of Pipistrol by Textron. So, Alan, first let's start here with uh, this plane crash. Obviously, anything, you know, entering the news cycle is going to be labeled Boeing. So this is another Boeing 737. It's a 737-800 uh, from China Eastern Airlines. Had 132 people on board. Looks like no survivors. Um, really sad. But Alan, what do we know so far about this? From what we can tell from the transponder data that the aircraft was at essentially cruise altitude, everything seemed to be going just fine from the, the data. And the airplane sort of veered left and went almost essentially straight down into the ground. So it went from about 29,000 feet to zero very, very rapidly. It, it uh, The pictures we've seen, like the CCTV cameras and like in parking lots and shopping malls the security cameras images we've seen so far the, air, the aircraft is going vertically straight into the ground there's no lift at all from any of the the wings so it isn't like the aircraft had had stalled um it looked like at one point one of the images i saw looked like maybe part of the aircraft broke off because it's moving at such a high speed um, parts will come off um the 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 couple of things come to mind. Uh, Pilot-induced, push the nose down and drive it into the ground. That has been a thing in the past where pilots commit suicide. Uh, you know, air- airplanes have a tendency to fly. <laughs> if left alone, they'll tend to fly. They don't tend to nose straight down in the, in, unless there's something s- seriously, seriously wrong, right? Because the two pilots in, in the cockpit, you think the two pilots in the cockpit, one of them could right the aircraft, slow it down, get get the airplane in a neutral position and just get it somewhere. But it is almost instantaneous, which makes you think it was um, a pilot-induced situation, which is like the worst possible outcome, right? Mechanical things you can fix. Pilots that uh, drive airplanes into the ground is a much more tenuous situation because now you now, now, like it has happened in the past, you start going through the medical files, the psychological files, trying to see if there's hints of what was going on there. It's going to take a long time. And I think the, the, they're going to need to get the flight data recorders out, right? If, if they can find them, it sh- they should. But the cockpit voice recorders could be really important here. Knowing what's happening in the cockpit will tell you a lot about the situation. That That's going to be the key piece. All, all the instrumented flight data will tell you what the airplane did, but you don't get a true sense of it because the pilots will add a lot of detail in, in the communications to one another. 
And that's and that's how they determined some of the other crashes that um, the pilots were involved. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah, I saw a video. There's a little bit of video of the of the plane just before impact from like I don't know how people captured that, but there's a couple little videos on Twitter, and it is crazy seeing the plane go literally almost vertical, just straight straight down. It's very very surreal. So yeah, well we'll we'll see what happens as this starts to unfold. Obviously they'll get to the bottom of it. Um, but yeah, you know another another tragedy, and you know no one likes to see that. So let's move on here. Um, there's been another crash. Four U.S. Marines uh, were killed in a NATO drill after an Osprey uh, crashed in Norway. Um, Alan, we've talked about helicopters having obviously a lot less redundancy than than uh, airplanes. Um, are these always sort of redundancy issues? Like one thing breaks and then you know that's it i mean how much does an aircraft like this is a very high-tech helicopter an impressive helicopter um yeah what what do you think uh is going on here and um is this just inherent that these are always going to be more dangerous well it depends on how it was being flown the v-22 has a early history of having like when it's in development of having a, a number of crashes high profile crashes that seem to be related to the control system or control laws and i think hydraulic system was part of that for a long time and then it seemed to be fairly good everything seemed to be fixed and the flight control issues were resolved and now we see an airplane crash up in norway while it's doing some exercises but it also seems like there was bad weather and it makes you wonder if there was uh, some weird situation aerodynamically. They got near a, a, a mountain peak or a hill that had some strange winds and they're really close to the ground. Things like when, you, when, when you're doing simulated ops, uh, the aircraft tend to fly <laughs> very aggressively. The pilots tend to be very aggressive. And one small slip up there can, can be catastrophic. You know, the one, the one thing about this crash, Dan, is you haven't seen any images at all obviously uh, the Marines are not going to want to publicize that, but we have seen, we've seen a lot of images of crash sites uh, from the U S military. And maybe, maybe that's cracked down. Maybe they, maybe they got the message, like stop taking, taking selfies. Right. Cause even like the Kobe Bryant crash crash site had people out there taking photos and selling those photos. So it's, it, it's just a, it's not the world. That is the most bizarre thing ever, right? The, the Marines will have an investigative unit that goes out and um, an accident investigation branch will go out and, and take a look at the crash and start looking at all the data. And, and they'll try to resolve it. But, the, you know, what do they do in the meantime? I think that's the real, real key. Like, are they going to start grounding the V-22s? Are they going to ground V-22s in the middle of, a, of hostile activity in Ukraine? Probably not. Even if the aircraft is has some fundamental flaw, they're probably going to try to keep them flying because they don't want to show a weakness of force at the moment. It's a very, very tense, odd situation. Because I think those maneuvers were were planned a long time ago, but you, you feel like those maneuvers were in part to, th to show force uh, to the Russian military about what's going on in Ukraine. If you things get out of hand, the, the U.S. will step in, right? I mean, that, that's, that seems like what are the, part of that exercise was. So everybody who participates in that exercise knows what's at stake. Again, it, you know, are you going to be a little overly aggressive flying the aircraft? Maybe. Maybe because you're, you're preparing for possibly doing battle. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, more bad news. Uh, 
and this one's kind of uh, bizarre, but there was a flight on uh, over in Turkey. Uh, they had just taken off from Ankara on the way to Istanbul, and there was a flame on the left wing, and I guess a passenger was taking photos of just like this hovering. It looks like a pilot light. Like it's just the planes at like cruise altitude, and just there's a little flame. Uh, and I don't know. I guess it's the left wing flap uh, uh, flap track fairing. So I mean, obviously the wings are filled with uh, fuel. How concerning of this was this, and, and what do they think that this uh, ignition source was? You know, I don't know. It's I saw the the video of it, and it and there is a flame in that flap track fairing. So either either they have a little hydraulic leak. That's but hydraulic fluid doesn't tend to burn unless you spray. It. That's one of the beauties of hydraulic fluid. It doesn't combust on its. <laughs> you throw matches into it, it doesn't combust. But if you spray it and you have an ignition source, it'll it'll combust. So if they had a, a small hydraulic leak that got across a hot surface, that would cause that fire to happen. Uh, the, the, the little scary part, right, is that you have a fire on an airplane, and the pilots didn't know that that was happening, clearly, because there's no way for them to know. There's no signal that they have a fire out there. So a, a passenger saw it, thank goodness. Uh when, when you think you think about airplanes and you think about all the the equipment that are on an airplane there there are fire detection systems like around the engines there's there's fire loop what they call fire loops around the engine so if things get hot uh, it, it, it'll alert the pilots that there's a fire in the engine that's a really serious uh, failure mode and then then there's smoke detectors like in the lavatories there's there's smoke and fire detectors i think in the cargo holds but when you get out to the wing there really isn't any uh, fire detection, except around the, the leading edge DI system. There's also uh, fire loops out there because th that system runs really hot. If it gets too hot, you can actually damage the wing. But on the on the back end where those flap covers are, there isn't anything. So having a fire out there can be a big deal. And I, I wonder if it was a maintenance issue or a fatigue issue, uh, an electrical issue, a combination of issues, and how, how serious it, it got because what we could see from the little cell phone video it didn't look like it was getting super serious because there's so much airflow over it uh and it was in the you know we fire can't really operate at 500 miles an hour so if but the fire if the fire is internal to that that uh, cavity the, the flat fairing then what's happening inside could be obviously a lot more damaging so it, it's <laughs> it's kind of sad that we reached the state where the passengers are providing safety information to the pilots that's not the way the the systems are designed scary yeah but it sounds like there's no reason a flame would be there and some some comments on twitter there's some speculation that it's actually a flap that it's not actually a flame uh, it looks like a flame to me i guess i can't rule anything out but yeah yeah i've seen fire enough to know that's a that's a flame <laughs> but obviously you know there can't be sensors for every single possible outcome right there's not going to be like a sensor that there's a a lizard on the on some on the fairing like you know lizard lizard lights on let's go go someone get a broom right so um yeah really really concerning obviously you know we've talked in the past about um what was it twa flight 800 that was uh hit by lightning on the wing and uh crashed because of that had a fuel tank ignition they don't know what caused that but they had, they had a fuel tank ignition yeah so obviously it makes you think of that because they're you know fuel tanks are in the wings but this doesn't seem to be anywhere near that or at least not related to that the, the wing tank itself if you think about the wing tank itself is designed to take uh sitting in so one of the crash 
parameters around a wing is that if 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 you think about landing gear up and ending up on the runway, uh, if you had a fuel fire, a fuel leak. First of all, the design not to, to leak, right? So the system, fuel systems are not designed to leak at all. But if they do leak, the, the wing takes like f five minutes of burning jet fuel right underneath of it. That's one of the criteria for like access panels, wing access panels. So the, the systems are designed to take a lot of heat for a long time by design. And that's one of the, that's one of the certification efforts you have to go through, but the flap fairing is not, right? the flap fairing is not designed for that. The wing, yes, it's a major significant structure, pretty heavy, typically made out of metal. It'll handle a lot of flame before it gets in, in trouble. Uh, flap covers and all the flight controls back there are not designed to be around flame. Uh, so that's, that's the part that's a little worrisome from a system standpoint, because you had, you know, a flap failure one side, not a big deal, but, uh, yeah, someone, someone should be identifying root cause of this, for sure. Well, let's shift gears uh, to more 737 news. I mean, this isn't really 737 news, but um, the Mark Forkner trial. Uh, he's the ex-Boeing uh, test pilot. Uh, he's now on trial. And right now, I guess, news from the courtroom is that, you know, prosecutors are telling the jury that uh, Fortune tried to manipulate and deceive federal regulators, quote. Um, but his lawyers say the pilot is really just a scapegoat and that he didn't know anything about the critical safety changes to the plane and other issues that were really more of the root cause and that he was just sort of maybe did some things wrong, but um, he wasn't involved in any of those root cause issues. Um, I've, Alan, you know, obviously I know where you stand on this. We've talked about this quite a bit, but... Um, how do you see this uh, trial continuing to play out? And are you surprised in the way each side of this is, is framing their argument for or against Mr. Forkner? It is a, a, a sort of an odd defense. It's sort of two-pronged. The first is that flight test pilots don't design airplanes. They don't. And they check off the boxes that it meets the certification requirements. That's what they'll do. So having any intimate design knowledge is and from what I've seen, very rare. Like top level knowledge, yes. Deep down knowledge of system operation, no. It's, it's too much to manage. I mean, you, get, you have to know the whole airplane in intimate detail. It's just too much information. No one person can, can possibly do that. And the second is uh, that he, the uh, Fortner popped off, that he wrote some texts after work when he was tired and not thinking straight, that's sort of the argument, not thinking straight or just being exhausted and said some things that are brash and, uh, you know, looking back on them, he shouldn't have written, but they don't indicate that he had any direct knowledge or was trying to manipulate the system uh, to falsify data. And I think the, that seems to be where this is going, right? Because I think they're trying to get it for emails, right? So what they're trying to get it for emails and emails cross state lines. Therefore, it's a violation of postal codes or some nonsense. Um, okay, great. But there's, there's trying to having only one uh, defendant in this situation just feels weird, right? Boeing, Boeing itself took a, a couple billion dollar fine and, and, absolved everybody on their side, I guess, except for this test pilot. He's the only one. 
if you're going to, if it, it couldn't have been just one person. And the, one of the things that seemed to pop out of the, at least the initial discussions in the trial was in the simulator, like the simulator, the flight test pilots will go through the simulator and make sure that the, the simulator handles like the airplane, the airplane handles like the simulator, that there's a connection between the two. And then the simulator is doing uh, the proper things, but it's also they can do things in the simulator that they wouldn't incorporate into the airplane. So if you want to check out how a new system may work, you may just software wise plug it into the simulator and off you go. You test it. So it sounds like at the time that uh, there's a the, the test pilot made a complaint about the simulator reacting or MCAS reacting in the simulator. They were also trying to debug other things in the simulator. So it wasn't like the simulator was 100 percent verified, stamped, being a matching uh, recreation of the actual aircraft. That, that's a, that, that couldn't have been. There's no way that was possible. So if they were trying to debug the simulator and the flight test pilot talked about, you know, it seems like what they're saying is they, they took some words out of context in the larger picture of trying to, to, to debug a simulator. These, that's their argument. We'll see how that plays out in court. But... This this whole thing is not good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you come up to a good resolution here. If the government loses, then it feels like Boeing got off, right? If the pilot loses, everybody that's involved at a high level of aircraft design gets spooked, rightly so, because I could go to jail. So I stopped talking. I stop writing email. I don't send any texts. I don't talk to anybody about my concerns because who knows where it's going to get me five years down the road. I don't, I don't see a win out of this. Do you, Dan, for aircraft safety? I just don't see where it, this gets to it. No. And there's so many moving parts. It's like, I, I don't, I consider myself a completely neutral observer of this. I, you know, like you said, there's issues on both sides. Uh, you know, there's a ton of issues with Boeing's leadership, just the way all this stuff was handled. And I do think you're right that for it to be all on one person, like this was the reason, um, criminally, like that does seem strange. And I'm, that's not a, you know, whether or not he is found guilty, we'll see, but yeah, it's, it's a strange wrap up to that whole saga, which was just a mess. You know, if the Netflix, documentary got one thing right it was just that it was a mess and just a tragedy and terrible and complicated complicated yeah it's 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 very complicated. even trying to explain it because because of our podcast i know more about this than another non-aerospace person would even then it's it's hard to explain because as you start to go well it was this and it was this and it was this it was like well wasn't that still the fault of them not telling the pilots and it really is hard to say you know when there's so many causes which one it was and who really is is to blame but yeah it's it's got to be strange sitting in the the c-suite thinking well nothing happened to any of us but this guy is maybe going to jail and you know the whole the whole issue of corporate um legal responsibility you know criminal responsibility i can know they're trying to pass some laws over in in, the, uh, in europe about uh with criminal penal criminal penalties to like social media companies that if they're not doing things uh, like it's a really interesting time and you do want to step up penalties where you can for various things. You know, this also brings to mind a completely different case. I'm not saying this is analogous, but, um, you know, the Alec Baldwin issue where a gun with a with a 
was supposed to, you know, on film set with blanks in it, didn't have a blank in it, had a real bullet in it. How's that even possible? It's crazy. Well, they're, they found out there, someone else was shooting real bullets offset, like in, but like having fun and somehow one of them got mixed in. And you know, they're just like, like how much does Alec Baldwin need to know when that's not his job? Like, you know, he's shooting a million blanks on set. Does he need to check every bullet? He's not a ballistics expert. Like they, they pay a ballistics expert to do that. And it, it kind of seems like the same thing where, like you said, you can't know every in and out of the plane. Um, and how much do you realistically need to go through those safety checks before you delegate to someone else? And, and in the movie industry, they delegate to the, the armor or whatever they call them. So again, not a, not a, a clean analogy, but just is similar where it's like, who, who is responsible and how much are you personally responsible for something that's not in your job description or on a whole set where there's lots of moving pieces. So just another separate complicated legal issue that we'll see how that plays out. Obviously there's no criminal charges against Baldwin, but um, there's a lot of uh, civil cases that are, are pending. So uh, moving on uh, here with Delta, they are agreeing to back Airbus as they start to move forward with more hydrogen powered airline plans. Um, Alan, we still keep hearing about this, but you know, is this anywhere in the future and is this more of a PR play for Delta just to say, Hey, you know, we're doing our green part. I mean, will we be flying on it? I mean, I know we're not gonna be flying on a hydrogen powered airliner for at least 10 years. Right. Um, but what do you think is the, 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 the value here of announcing this right now as they try to push this towards maybe 2035? Well, it just gives them some leverage and gets a entry partner and, and every new aircraft design needs a airline partner. Uh, every time Boeing introduces an airplane, it's Airbus introduces an airplane. You want to have a, a big name tied to it in terms of an airline because that that brings in the sort of the second and tertiary level airlines into the into the mix of oh if Delta's going to do it, then it's probably okay for us because Delta's going to put a lot of eyeballs on it and accountants on it to determine if it actually makes sense or not. Thereby, there's going to be a large number of aircraft probably being purchased so if i bought five and, and delta bought 200 i know there's going to be parts around so they are i don't want to buy a one-off airplane if i can avoid it or an airplane with a short shelf life right so it's important uh, bombardier went through this years ago with the um, c-series now the a220 of trying to find a, a large partner that would buy a significant quantity because that then garner sales from everybody else. So it's a smart move by Airbus to try to connect with a large international flying partner, particularly one in the United States. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't get uh, someone in, in Europe to do the same thing and make an announcement like, like that. Maybe they have, I just haven't seen it. Uh, trying to partner up and show that, hey, there's a big marketplace for this, that we have customers, the customers are willing to buy it and willing to adjust their infrastructure to handle it. I think that's probably the biggest thing as an airplane. Like, so if let's relate this back to the 737 MAX, right? So the 737 MAX, a lot of that was about not changing pilot training, but also part of it is not changing what happens in the maintenance side. Similar parts, similar airplane design. You don't have to train a bunch of mechanics on a lot of new things, essentially. So the system familiarity is a big deal. That's why Southwest just buys Boeing 737s is because they feel like they have a better safety record when everybody knows what exactly what they're working on. And they're not working on three or four different aircraft models. 
for Delta, when you bring in a completely different aircraft design that has something that no one has ever seen before and never and mechanics in particular have never worked on before and will have to be a couple of years of training, I'm sure, to get the them to stand up because you can't just have mechanics in Atlanta fixing the airplanes, right? You got to have them in Salt Lake City. You got to have them in all your European destinations, uh, your hubs to be able to work on these aircraft. What do you do, right? If there's a hydrogen leak, I, I don't know. I don't know what a mechanic would do. I don't even know how a mechanic would even diagnose that as a problem. So there's a lot of infrastructure issues with hydrogen, not just building the airplane, but maintaining it and keeping it operational. And having Delta kind of step into that mix does provide some sense of security for other airlines to do the same thing. Now, what the financial arrangements were here, I don't know if we'll ever hear about them. But can you imagine, Dan, how much infrastructure change it has to be to change fuel, <laughs> to particularly to hydrogen, something you can't see or smell? That's tough. That does seem tough, but I think the nice thing about it as compared to like the EV uh, infrastructure, which is slowly getting there, like people are driving their Teslas and they're successfully getting that out there, is the nice thing is that at least hydrogen recharging and all that stuff is going to be limited to airports. So at the very least, that's a good benefit where it's not a million of these things and you got to have stations and repair every X, X amount of miles. So, you know, if we can do that with EVs, it seems like we could probably get that done with hydrogen airliners and obviously the air you know the aerospace industry is uh has some of the most impeccable minds in the world on this issue but yeah it's going to be a really difficult thing and like you said all those it's gonna be like a ground up checklist for pilots and mechanics and and everybody and that that seems like a, a pretty pretty daunting task where, where to even start there but maybe a kickstarter that's what i was like so thinking as you were talking about how you need the backing which makes sense, but that's what you see with Kickstarter on a, obviously a tiny scale is, hey, we have this new cool thing we want to do. Uh, who who wants this product? We need people to buy it up front. We need, we need pre-orders to fund this new high-tech scooter or this new cookbook that we'd love to publish. But will you buy it first and let us then go back to the press and make it? It seems kind of like what they're trying to do, at least a little bit. You know, think I was just thinking about the, the, the hydrogen infrastructure piece. So not only would you have to put hydrogen at every place that you're potentially going to land these aircraft, but you'd also have to put it in the emergency uh, locations where airplanes occasionally stop when they have a crisis, like Ireland. Uh, there's a couple places. Well, we remember in 9-11, when 9-11 happened and all the airplanes got were up in, I think it's Nova Scotia, that they just they told everybody to land. So was it a little town in Nova Scotia had all these Boeing and Airbus airplanes just like, sitting on the tarmac like if you and if, if, if you did that if that ever happened again and you didn't have hydrogen available to get them back into the air i'm not sure what you would do you see what Good i'm saying point. interesting yeah yeah i saw it, that i saw that uh play or musical whichever you'd call it they did that what? in dc on the national mall for free last summer so i actually went and sat on that i did not like it so <laughs> sorry everyone uh but you know we sat through it so, How is that a musical? Story. Is it a musical about landing airplanes in the middle of nowhere? You can sing. When, you can nowhere, sing but... any story that you. You can sing any story that you want. You know, I could <laughs> talk to you about my breakfast. I made coffee and I had cereal. Like you can sing anything you want. Um, yeah, I didn't. Again, musicals not are not really my thing. So I sat through it, but 
I digress. But that's a, that's mm. an interesting point because you're right. I mean, if they didn't have the infrastructure, that plane could find its grave there. That's <laughs> it could, yeah. It, to- it could be there for a lot longer than you think, for sure. So there's a lot to the hydrogen infrastructure that uh, has yet to be sussed out. Well, moving on to our last uh, segment today, uh, no EVTOLs, but electrics uh, on the docket. So Textron has acquired Pipistrol. And, you know, obviously Textron and Pipistrol both been around for a long time. Um, but Alan, you don't really think that these companies mesh up and you're a little skeptical of of what exactly the vision is here from Textron. The Textron acquisition of Pepistrol is, I think, interesting at a sort of very high level of what the plan is that Textron has for Pipistrol. Because Textron has created an e-aviation division. And that e-aviation division, I think, is where they're going to put everything electric. Okay, which makes sense, right? But there's a couple of things don't don't jive right now. They paid a... a, a roughly a quarter billion dollars for Pipistrol. And Pipistrol has a line of aircraft, so it's not just the electric piece, right? There's other things that they have done successfully for a number of years. So Pipistrol, as, as its own standalone company, makes total sense. But that won't, they won't stay that way. Uh, U.S. conglomerates tend to want to merge things together, like they merge Beach and Cessna together, right? So now there's sort of in name only an organization. Pipistrol will probably go through that same evolution, uh, being integrated into a larger Textron. But you would think that th- this is this is my concern about what's happening in Kansas and Wichita overall in the aerospace group. Uh, for a quarter billion dollars, I think the engineers in Wichita could build the airplanes that Pipistrol has built. I, I don't see and, and sort of, probably certify them. Because Cessna, Cessna had at one point a, the Skycatcher, which was, uh, I think they called it the 162, which was a, a, like a light sport aircraft they built back in the 2007-ish period. And uh, the, the, it's very, it looks very similar to what the Pipistrol is, except it's not electric. It's, it was gas-powered. Uh, and Cessna, that program was so short-lived that Cessna couldn't make any money off it. They sent it over to China to be built to save money on the aircraft build. And it, it, it was very short-lived. So to go basically back in time, <laughs> that's what it feels like. It's like back to the future. We're going to go back in the future and we're going to take that Skycatcher design, put an electric motor in it, which is what Pitbull's done, and then create this division. It doesn't, nothing feels right. And the same thing, because Textron also owns Bell. So Bell's been talking about not going after the eVTOL market at all at the moment. Weird. So what is the plan? You know, and, and why are we spending a quarter billion dollars now for something that you could have done, probably done internally for less money? Because at some point, if, you, if you're thinking about making the transition to electric aircraft, who's going to do that? Are you going to hand it to Pipistrol over in Europe to do that? Or are you going to be thinking that you're going to integrate it into the larger Textron, particularly Wichita area, where the engineers will have to get somewhat adapted to making electric airplanes? shouldn't be a big deal for them to do. Where's the, where's the upside? Like, wh- what's the multiple on this? If, if I'm an investor, what's my multiple? I buy Pipistrol for a quarter billion. I project that to 
create for me what? Ten times? Isn't it normally four to ten times? So you, is that gonna, division going to create a billion dollars for you to two billion dollars? I, I, I don't see it right now. I don't see it. And that's, that's sort of the frustrating piece is like, where is this going? Where are we going here? Or do we have a, 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 an identified plan within Textron to, to move into a new particular area, electric? Do we have a particular plan to do that? And what do the market forces tell us today about it? Because, well, Dan, you know, the, the SPACs that Joby and Archer and all these uh, EV talk companies out in Silicon Valley are worth a lot of money. But you're not going to SPAC Textron, right? <laughs> so is, what's, what's the growth outcome of this? It's a bit, air, air, airplanes are a business. Airplanes are a business. What's the potential growth output of this? What's the multiple? What's the EBITDA? Where's this going? I, I, I don't see it. Do you, do you see it where this is going? I mean, even the press releases are very uh, undefined as to what the financial advantage of this merger are. They talk about the engineering side. Yeah, as you look through Textron's holdings, like what Bell offers, what their aviation division offers, it, I think you're right because on the one hand, there's lots of times where you on this podcast have said, well, it just makes sense for like, you know, last week we were talking about um, the city Airbus and how it just makes sense probably for them to outsource the wings to uh, Spirit Air Systems. Like they can just do that better, faster, you know, like, Hey, give it to an expert. But in this case, you're saying internally, they have everything you could need to build this same plane. So just design your own and, and make it yourself. That also makes sense. And of course, like you see this in uh, all over the country, like one example I was reading about recently is that a lot of companies are creating their own media divisions, you know, completely unrelated. But it's like with camera technology is changing quite a bit with the world being more nimble. It's like, why are we outsourcing all this video production? let's just get some cameras in our office, hire three or four people, and we have our own media division, right? We can do this stuff here. And this seems like that same example where you they have all, you know, this isn't like Joby where maybe they have some really interesting IP and they need that umbrella of expertise. But, you know, Bell, they've got the, the Nexus EVTOL prototype. It, it's not clear they're going to move forward with that one, right? But they have it. That thing's beautiful. It's in the Smithsonian. I saw it a couple of weeks ago. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe my guess is maybe the Nuva, which is, um, Pibistrol's cargo autonomous section. That's where they've sort of pivoted to on the EVTOL side. Maybe they've got some interesting IP there and that's really a valuable piece because the one thing that, uh, Bell doesn't seem to do is cargo. And so maybe they're like, Hey, this, this, this is also an un a lesser utilized piece of the, uh, the EVTOL puzzle. Like Beta's got an agreement with UPS. Um, but people aren't going after the cargo market nearly as hard as they are the air taxi market. But the cargo market's probably a pretty lucrative, easier to enter. You know, don't have to worry about passengers. Don't have to worry about landing on top of a building in New York City. It, that seems like a, a nice lower bar to entry so maybe that's their angle i'm not i'm not sure yeah, i think you raised a very good point because uh cessna textron just finished that uh October prop for fedex um we call it is it sky courier that's the thing that comes to the top of my head sky courier it's called sky courier it's a sort of inflated 
1900D airplane, uh, which is cargo for FedEx. And that, that got certified recently, and they're going to make, start making deliveries and all that's great. So maybe, maybe that's the play, is that FedEx wants to make an electric version of something, and they want to bring over the technology, quote-unquote technology of electric uh, to make an electric aircraft for FedEx. Maybe they got a potential customer there. That, that could be lurking in the background, right? I, I think that's very possible. You know, Kansas, the thing about, I love about Kansas and also find very frustrating about Kansas is Kansas is, was, has been aviation-focused for and agriculturally-focused for 100, well, agriculturally for hundreds of years, but <laughs> airplane-focused for about 100. So they have research institutes at, like the, at Wichita State, that you think would drive some of this technology so that Textron and Spirit, whoever's left, uh, Bombardier, Learjet, whoever's left there could could glean onto. But the research seems to be focused on like military stuff, converting a triple seven into a freighter. They have I have not seen anything on the research arm of Wichita State of electric aircraft. Where is that? You think that, that you, with all the noise going on in Silicon Valley and in, up in Vermont, that there there would be some emphasis on next generation within their uh, FAA funded, nationally funded, Kansas State funded research organization in Wichita State to to get to an electric aircraft, but Textron just reached out overseas and picked something up. That doesn't feel right to me. You, you would hope that Kansas, as a state organization, would be on top of these situation but it doesn't feel like it it feels like the research arms are going to things that are 20 years old it feels like textron as an organization is trying to figure out what the future is and it doesn't have the sort of cumulative growth effect that a silicon valley startup would have and that's trouble i think ultimately that's trouble because cash is king in aviation having a lot of cash and having a lot of resources like that is really critical knowing where the market's going and maybe be a little boundary pushing is normal that should happen but we just haven't seen it and i, I you know, it just makes you wonder what the f- future of kansas and wichita look like frustrating because i i know how good the engineers are there just don't see the future there right at the moment all right well that's going to do it for this week's episode of the struck aerospace engineering podcast thanks so much for listening be sure to subscribe wherever you listen on itunes spotify stitcher or if you watch here on YouTube, leave us a review, share the show with a friend, and we'll see you here next week on Struck. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardaero.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.